Good evening. Thank you for joining us tonight at Grace Life Church. I'm ministering tonight. Uh, Pastor Eric and Miss Michelle, they are out of town, um, and they'll be back Sunday. But we're going to have a good time tonight. Um, I guess if I had a title for tonight, it could have went a few different ways. But uh, some things that Pastor had been ministering on the last, I guess, month or so, uh, and taking some notes and just going back over my notes. Uh, he had been in 2 Corinthians 4 a lot, where Paul is talking about uh, the things they had suffered because of, you know, because of the gospel, persecution and things they were going through. And Paul called all these things that he had been going through, he made uh, the word uh, light affliction. That's what he used to describe, you know, being uh, beaten and uh, shipwrecked and left for dead and stoned and um, snake bit and hungry and death threats and all those things. He said that was light affliction. And, um, you know, the, this kept coming to me as I was studying it, the phrase, make light of your affliction. And so that's what we're going to talk tonight about, about making light of our affliction. We could also call it uh, uh, focus, focusing on our solution rather than our problem. Or, you know, being tro uh, having troubles but not being troubled. Amen? And so, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of Christians, sadly, you know, sometimes we get, uh, we get caught up in things that come our way and things that we're going through. And, you know, we may not be like Paul calling it light affliction, you know. <laughs> we may think, no, this ain't light. This is really heavy, you know. And uh, th this, this seems like it's a lot to go through. And, it, you know, or sometimes you deal with something for a little while and it, you know, the longer you deal with it, you feel you start getting these thoughts of, is this ever going to go away? Is this ever going to get better? You know, am I stuck like this? Is this is this just going to be the end for me and how this is going to go? Well, no, that's that's not true. I mean, and those, thought, those thoughts are not from God, you know, and uh, and it's not even OK to settle in those thoughts and say, well, you know, it's just going to be like this while I'm here on earth. But when I get to heaven, all things are going to be okay. Well, we know all things are going to be okay. But he paid the ultimate price to Jesus, went through all that he went through for it to not just be okay here on this earth. It's true that all things will be right in heaven. Amen. But as, as Pastor says, we have some heaven to go to heaven in. Amen. <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about making light of our affliction. So uh, what does it mean to make light of something? Well, I asked Google because I've heard Google knows everything. Hey, editor here. Uh, we had some pretty significant technical issues at this point of the service, so we are jumping ahead uh, five to ten minutes or so. So just wanted to give you a heads up where it's not going to match up. We've lost some audio here. Uh, so thank you for your patience, and enjoy the rest of the service. So much that you invalidate what the Word says doesn't mean it makes it not true. It just means that you're not going to experience what the Word says in that situation because we've chose to elevate our feelings above what the Word says. Amen. No, no, no messages. Just hang on. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get there, okay? So that's what the Word says. That's what the world says toxic positivity is, okay? But let's look at what the Word says. You know, uh, John 8, 31 says, So Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings, and live according with them, you are truly my disciples. <clears throat> he says, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So the truth will set you free, not opinions. The truth you know will set you free. Not even good intentions. He said the truth. So let's look at this, okay? 
So we're going to look at what this, what, what, how we make light of affliction. And uh, I told you, you know, I gave you the definition of what the world calls toxic positivity. So, you know, we're not going to be turning to the book of second opinions, but we're going to be reading scripture. Amen. We're going to be reading truth. So let's start with 2 Corinthians 4. Um, I'm going to read some out of the Amplified. Um, and, you know, Paul's talking about, we know these scriptures, and Paul's talking about the uh, persecution that's coming for the word's sake. He said, therefore, since we do hold and engage in this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not get discouraged. He said, we don't get spiritless and despondent with fear, and we don't become faint with weariness and exhaustion. So right now, He's, you know, he starts off by saying that. Well, why is he saying that? Because he has the opportunity to. There, it, it, there's opportunities for discouragement to set in, despondent with fear, fainting and weariness, hopelessness, right, and exhaustion. We're going to all have those opportunities in life. But, but he said we've already made the decision that we're not doing that. He said we have renounced disgraceful ways. We refuse to deal craftily or to adulterate or handle dishonestly the word of God. He said, but we state the truth openly. And so we commend ourselves in the sight and presence of God to every man's conscience. But even if our gospel also be hidden, it's hidden to those who are perishing and obscured only to those who are spiritually dying and veiled only to those who are lost. For the God of this world has blinded the unbelievers' minds, preventing them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image and likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves merely as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts so as the light for the illumination of the knowledge of the majesty and, Lord, and, and, the majesty and glory of God <clears throat> in the face of Jesus Christ the Messiah. Verse 7 says, However, we possess this precious treasure in frail human vessels of earth, that the grander and exceeding greatness of the power may be shown to be from God and not from ourselves. He, uh, he says in verse 8, <clears throat> he says, We are hedged in. We are oppressed on every side. We are troubled and oppressed in every single way. Wow. He said, But we're not cramped or crushed. We suffer embarrassments and are perplexed and unable to find a way out, but we're not driven to despair. He says, <clears throat> We are pursued, persecuted, and hard driven, but we're not deserted to stand alone. We are struck down to the ground, but never struck out and never destroyed. So there's some things going on, obviously, right? Uh, but he says, you know, all this is happening, but, and then he gives you the other side of that. But somebody should have told Paul, you can't do that, Paul. That's toxic positivity. You can't, Paul, you got to get with the program. It's, you know, you can't do all that. So he says in verse 10, always carrying about in the body the liability and exposure to the same putting to death that the Lord Jesus suffered, so that the resurrection life of Jesus may also be shown forth by and in our bodies. For we who live are constantly experiencing being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, that the resurrection life of Jesus may also be evidenced through our flesh, which is liable to death. Thus death is actively at work in us, but it is in order that our life may be actively at work in you. Yet we have the same spirit of faith as he who wrote, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. Paul says, so we too believe and then we speak. He says, assured that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will raise us up also with Jesus and bring us along with you in his presence. For all these things are taking place for your sake, that the more grace extends to more and more people and multiplies through the many, the more thanksgiving may increase in the glory to God. <clears throat> he said, therefore, he said, because all this is happening, he said, but in all this that's happening, he said, 
more grace, more grace, more grace, right? It's being multiplied and more people are seeing the truth of the resurrection of Christ, even though we're going through all this. They're seeing the truth of Christ coming to him and that the glory of the Lord may abound. So we obviously know that it's not God that's causing all these things going wrong in Paul's life, right? It's never God. He's, we just got there singing, he's good. He don't, he don't use hardships and trials and all these things to teach us lessons. We can learn lessons in them, of course, but it, it doesn't come from him. He said, so because of all this, we do not become discouraged. We don't become... Uh, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and wearied out through fear. He said, even though our, our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. So it looks like we have a choice. <clears throat> we can just decay and waste away, hey, or we can be renewed every day, right? So he says, for our light momentary affliction. Uh, the Amplified says, this slight distress of the passing hour. Is ever more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory beyond all measure. It excessively is surpassing all comparisons and all calculations of vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. He said, Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, <clears throat> but the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible are temporal, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. So Paul's saying, you know, we got all this going on and there's all these options what he's going to look at. He said, but we've made the choice that we don't look at the things that are seen, but we're choosing to look at the things that are not seen, right? Um, I'm not going to read that whole, I'm not going to go back in and read the whole thing in the message, but I, uh, I do want to cut in right here in the message because it's really good is he says if you only look at us you might you might well miss the brightness we carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives that's to prevent anyone from confusing God's incomparable power with us as it is there not there's not much chance of that you know for yourselves that we're not much to look at we've been surrounded and battered by troubles but we're not demoralized we're not sure what to do but we know God knows what to do We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't been broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Our lives are at constant risk for Jesus' sake, which makes Jesus' life all the more evident in us. You know, Paul's like, Satan's throwing all these things at us, and he, you know, but... We're happy about it because the more he throws at us and the more all this is happening to us, the more the rev a revelation of the resurrection is being shown and more and more people are coming into the kingdom. <clears throat> in other words, Satan keeps doing this to us, but he's actually shooting himself in the foot. He says, so while we're going through the worst, y'all are getting in on the best. He said, so we're not going to keep this quiet. No, not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, so I said it. What we say, we believe. And what we believe is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. You see that mindset that Paul has. He's not even focused on all the stuff going wrong and all the hardships on the trials. He, he's eternally <clears throat> minded. He's looking to the future. He's looking to eternity. He's looking at all these things that are going on in the kingdom and for the kingdom and all the grace being poured out, right? He understands that this, his grace is so sufficient. It's more than sufficient. 
It's like God's grace is overkill for anything the kingdom of darkness could ever throw at them, right? He says, so we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, right? He said, because we, we just read uh, our outward body is, is perishing day by day, but there's a renewing going on on the inside every day. He says, so we're not looking at what's falling apart. We're looking on the inside where God's making new life. Not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. And I have started saying that when I wake up in the mornings. Before I get out of bed, I say, I thank you, Lord, for your unfolding grace for me today. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. The lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that we can't see now will last forever. <clears throat> so we see we have a, uh, we have a decision of how we're going to see things, how we're going to view things, because we know that, you know, Jesus said you're going to have these things happen. It's not an if or when, you know, he talked about building your, he said the wise man builds his house on the rock. The, the wise man builds a firm foundation on the word, and he said, and when the storm comes, he said, he's going to be left standing. You know, not if, but when the storm comes. So we see as every single one of us is going to have a choice <clears throat> when things go wrong, when affliction comes. But we never see Paul glorifying and magnifying the afflictions and the hardships. Uh, he's really not impressed by it. Every time Paul speaks of trials and tribulations, he is making light of what he is going through, which the world calls toxic positivity. <laughs> he is making the decision to shift his focus from the things he can see. In other words, Paul is taking inventory of, okay, I can see what's going on. My five senses are perceiving these things, right? But he's shifting his, his focus from what his five senses to, can perceive to what the Word says, to the things that are unseen, to the actual truth, to the actual reality. So you could say he's troubled, but he's not troubled by the trouble. Because he wasn't impressed by the affliction. It's kind of like the devil threw literally everything he had at him. And he was like, oh, okay, you know, it's like a bug on the windshield of life. But he's not doing that as, you know, like Paul's like uh, putting on some kind of faith act. No, he said, we believe, therefore we spoke. This is a belief. This is a stance of who I am. I'm seated with Christ. Amen. So... Uh, he gives some more examples. There's all kind of examples. You read through the New Testament, you can see all the things that not just Paul, but all the disciples faced. And every time you see it, you see them shifting their focus. They don't ever just sit there and tell you, you know, I have never seen Paul end a letter with, it is really, really rough here, and I'm having a terrible time. <laughs> I don't really know how much longer I'm going to be able to hang on, but... Anyway, hope y'all are doing a little better. See you later, Paul. He never, he never signs off like that, does he? No, he never does. He, he's saying, no, yeah, all this is going on. Yeah, 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 whatever. But here's what's true. But here's what we're going to look at. But here's what we're going to focus on, right? So I'm just going to give you a couple more examples of some things where, where Paul said, this is where we're going to choose to, to look at what's true. He says in Romans 8.18, he says, if we are his children, then we're also his heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs of Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. Only we must share his suffering if we are to share his glory. <clears throat> so, you know, Jesus said, they, they hate you, but they hated me first. Right? 
Paul says, but what of that? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this present life, they're not even worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. He said that it, it's incomparable. Right? You know, uh, Andrew Womack, we did, when we were doing Andrew Womack's study one time, I remember a uh, comparison he made. And, you know, I know some people don't like the comparison because it was like, I mean, I guess in a way it was harsh, but not really harsh. Um, he said that he had a lady come up in his healing line, or just to be prayed for, and she wanted prayer for her marriage. <clears throat> she said, uh, my husband, we are divorcing, and, you know, I, I won't pray for my marriage. So he's like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll pray over that, you know. And he said, but something just seemed kind of off with this woman. And so he felt impressed to ask her, are you saved? Do you know if you were to die tonight that you were going to heaven, that, you know, you're a child of God, you're going to heaven, you're saved? She said, no, but that ain't why I'm up here. I won't pray for my marriage. <laughs> and he said, so you, won't, so you want me to pray for your marriage, but you don't know if you die tonight that you're going to heaven, that you don't know that you're, you're saved? Not saying that you have to be saved for God to save your marriage. That's not what he's saying. He's saying she's put so much importance on uh, marriage, which yes, marriage is important. It's a covenant ordained by God, but she has placed that above salvation, above eternal things. And he told, he said, lady, he said, I care about your marriage. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. He said, but it is absolutely stupid for you to, for you to come up here and not, you know, and, and place such importance on something that's not eternal versus eternal salvation. And that was like a really crazy thought to her. But, but we do it all the time with stuff, you know. So in the, uh, 2 Timothy 1.11, and the message says, This is the message I've been set apart to proclaim as a preacher, emissary, and teacher. It's also the cause of all the struggle I'm in. <laughs> so he says, I'm preaching this message, and what I'm doing is the reason I'm in all this trouble. And then he says, But I have no regrets. I couldn't be more sure of my ground. The one I've trusted in can take care of what he's trusted me to do right to the end. I mean, that amazing. He said, yeah, I'm doing this, and this is why I'm, all, I'm in all this trouble. He's like, uh, I don't have any regrets, though. Here we go. Paul's making light again. Paul's, Paul's doing that toxic positivity stuff. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, <clears throat> he talks about being in front of Alexander the coppersmith. He said, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Paul says, but that's no concern of mine. For the Lord will repay him according to his actions. He said, be on guard against him yourself because he vigorously opposed our message. And then Paul says this. At my first trial, no one supported me as an advocate. He said, nobody stood with me. They all deserted me. And then he says, may it not be counted against them by God. I wonder if we would say that. <laughs> Or we would be offended and, well, they, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. And it wasn't right and that wasn't fair. And, they, and I'm, you know, I'm offended and I have a reason to be offended. You know, you'd be offended too if that happened to you and they did you like that. Um, but I didn't see that in any translation I looked up. I could have missed one, but I don't think I did. But he goes on to say, he says, so no one stood with me. They all deserted me. They all left and they all left me. He said, but I'm not, but don't count them that against them, Lord. And then I love verse 17. He said, but the Lord stood by me. And he strengthened me and he empowered me so that through the gospel message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was rescued from the mouth of the lion. Isn't that amazing? 
You see over and over, Paul's like, yeah, all this is going on and that, you know, this and that. And he knows why the persecutions come. He knows why it's there. He said, but I, I have a greater mission. I have a greater calling. And what I'm called to in the eternal glory of this thing, it, it's like, like me, the message says, that's small potatoes compared to what the devil's trying to, you know, it's like the devil's trying to, you know, blow little spit bombs at him, you know, and he's just like, oh my gosh, this is annoying. This is annoying, you know. And, and I mean, hell's throwing everything it's got, you know, absolutely everything it's got at him. And Paul's just, just flicking it off like, oh my gosh, you, you, are, you are really embarrassing yourself, devil. And then he says, you know, then he goes and says in James, he says, count it all joy when tests and trials come at you from all sides. Now, if that's not, see, Google wouldn't like that. Google would not like him saying that. <laughs> Paul, you are invalidating our feelings. <laughs> Don't get mad at me. This is the truth. I used to not like to hear that either. You ever had those times where you're like, well, I don't want, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. Well, we, we have things we don't want to hear sometimes, but why don't we want to hear it? And is it really the real you that doesn't want to hear that? Or is it our flesh that doesn't want to hear that? But anyway, <laughs> he also says, consider it a sheer gift. It's a gift when tests and trials come at you from all sides. So I'm not saying, you know, thank you, Lord, that my life has fallen apart. No, that's not what he's saying. Because for one, it doesn't even come from God. He, if you go and read James, he says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above, the Father of lights. He said, don't let any man say when he's, te when he's tempted and tested and tried that this is from God. That's, that's not God's nature and that's not God's character. He said, but when that does come, he said, you've got a great opportunity here. You got a great opportunity and you have a great testimony when that thing comes, right? So we don't see Paul glorifying and magnifying the afflictions and the hardships. Every time Paul speaks of trials and tribulations, he is making light of what he is going through. He's not denying that he's going through something, right? He's not saying, oh, I don't have any problems. I'm fine. I'm making light of my affliction. I'm making light of it. <laughs> That's not what he's doing, right? <laughs> he said, yeah, all this is going on. He said, but hey, look over here at what's unseen. Look at the truth of this thing. This thing don't have any authority over us. This thing has no right to stay this way. He's making the decision to shift his focus from the things he can see, the things he can perceive with his five senses, to the things that are unseen. So too many Christians are seeing their problems too big and their God too small. It doesn't make the problem bigger and make God smaller. It just does in your life, in your experiences, in my experiences. Because the world will train your flesh to magnify the problem by proclaiming what is experienced and what is perceived by your senses to be the truth. How many times we can experience something, perceive something with your five senses, and then it builds that stronghold of this is true, this is what's true, this is what's true. And if we don't tear down those strongholds with the word, with the actual truth, we'll, we'll live a, a deceived lie and call it truth. And we, and we have areas that we do it in. You know, it, it's, not, it's not always in one area. It can be in multiple areas. But we don't, we don't go the way the world does, right? We can see that what's happening in the world now more than any other time in history. I mean, it's amazing. I'm not even going to spend a whole, I'm not going to spend more than just a few seconds talking about that. But my gosh, you got people, and I'm not saying it to be funny, but just because we feel like we're this or we're that, we must be that. Um, that's demonic. I, that's, that's demonic. That's not, <laughs> that, that, Yeah. So we won't even go there. And, and, and then you're trying to shove it in schools and on kids, 
on children that at two and three years old, we, we think we, well, you know, I was, I was born a boy, but I like to play with Barbie dolls. So, you know, you have parents that go rush them off. Well, he, he's playing with Barbie doll. He must want to be a girl, you know, just crazy stuff. So we have a, a flesh dominated world, a sense dominated world. <clears throat> you know, I, I was, uh, reading something. I was talking about, um, feelings and about, you know, well, I, I think it was someone commenting on something one time on Facebook. It was a few months ago. And she was just saying, I wish the Lord would give me some kind of feeling that I would know that, you know, this is the way I was supposed to go in. Sometimes that happens. We, God gave us feelings, you know, uh, but we're not to be led by our feelings, good or bad. Because if the Lord chose to communicate with us through feelings, oh my gosh, the devil would have a heyday with that, wouldn't he? I mean, you think... If, if we had to go by natural feelings all the time, and that's, you know how more, even more we'd be deceived? How easy that would be for him? But Romans 12, 2 says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and he develops well and well-formed maturity in you. <clears throat> so, you know, the world says, um, you know, validate your feelings. Uh, don't listen to that toxic positivity. You stay in your pity party. You, that's, you know, going along that line. And once again, I'm not saying pretend that there are no problems and that everything is just peachy, okay, that you, or that you feel peachy all the time. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, though, that there's a truth in the Word of God that says sometimes you're going to have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And sometimes you're going to have to renew your mind. Well, all the time you're going to have to renew your mind. You know, um, and it just amazes me that we have Christian counselors and, and it's taught in churches that phrase of toxic positivity. When the, and what, what are you going to do with Philippians where Paul says, think on these things, all these things that are good and holy and righteous and of a good report and all that. Think on these things. You know, it didn't give any other uh, stipulations for that. He says, keep your mind stayed on him. If you want to be in perfect peace, keep your mind stayed on him. Proverbs 23, 7 says, What you spend your time thinking about is who you're going to become. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Well, you know, you may want to spend your time thinking positively, amen? Because your life is going in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. We know that the kingdom of darkness always, always does its best work in the sense realm. The kingdom of darkness is always going to work there. And as Pastor says, the battle is not just in the mind, it's for the mind. You know, whoever has the soul is the one who's got control. Whoever is dominating the mind, will, and emotions, that's who's controlling the person. The quickest way to be deceived <clears throat> is to start agreeing with your feelings. Ephesians 4.27 talks about, you know, a lot of people use that verse for anger. You know, don't let the sun go down your wrath. Don't be angry and sin not, right? But, but actually, he's talking about any emotion, he talks about don't let the passion of your emotions cause you to sin. God gave us emotions. We know that. But we can't let them dominate because if we let our emotions dominate, we're going to end up in a ditch. Amen? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I have done that. Don't give any place to the devil, he goes on to say. 
in that verse. He says that's, that when you give way to your emotions and you let your emotions lead the way and you, whatever, you're giving place to the devil. You're giving him an opportunity. You know, you think about it, uh, <clears throat> when Jesus was in the wilderness, how many days was he there before Satan came to him? Forty, right? And he, he waited 40 days till Jesus got really hungry. Till those, those natural senses were like, you know, <laughs> Jesus is wanting to call Pizza Hut, <laughs> have them deliver him, you know, a supreme or something, right? So, so he waited. He waited. He didn't come to him on day one. Jesus wasn't hungry yet. You know what I'm saying? He, had not, he was going to wait till he had the best advantage to use Jesus' own physical senses against him. <clears throat> you know, a sul- uh, in, that, in that verse in Ephesians 4, one translation says, A sulky frame of mind gives Satan his greatest opportunity. So we don't feed our affliction with negative thoughts and negative words. We don't magnify the problem and make it bigger in our own eyes. If we do that, we're going to starve our faith. Instead, we think and say what the Word says. We agree with God. And when we do that, we're going to starve the problem. In other words, feed that solution and not the problem. As Pastor said Sunday, you know, this, in a way this could be a continuation of Sunday. He said, your king is bigger than your crisis. <clears throat> Nothing has ever happened to you or will ever happen to you that is greater than what Jesus accomplished for you by his blood and his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, and, and Pastor has asked the question, so what are we going to do with our redemption? Amen. We have, we have all, this, all these things, all these promises, all this accomplished for us you know, that Jesus has done for us. He is our actual victory over every single circumstance of life. But what are we going to do with that? You know? Because um, as we said, Jesus told us we're going to have these things. He says, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He says, I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I've already conquered it for you. So we have a choice when affliction comes, right? We have a choice whether to magnify the affliction to make it bigger, to, to stay in that place of, you know, this is really terrible, and, and, and it probably is. You, I'm not saying there's not hardships and there's not circumstances and stuff, but we have a choice whether to say, okay, but this is what the Word says. You know, when we are spiritually minded and not carnal minded, when we are renewing our mind, as Pastor says, it's not, okay, what does the Word say about this situation? It's, we're already thinking what the Word says about the situation. We're already speaking what the Word says about the situation. Paul says, we have in the same spirit of faith, we believe and then we speak. Amen? Amen. So we, we're always going to have a choice. No matter how old we are, no matter how long, you know, something's been going on. As <laughs> Pastor joked Sunday, you know, if you're, uh, if you've been on this planet two days, you've, you've incurred some problems, right? Something's going on that is not pleasant. So let's, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, Romans 8.33 <clears throat> says, Who would dare to accuse us whom God has chosen? The judge himself has declared us free from sin. Who is in a, posi- a, po- a position to condemn? Only Christ, and Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. And Christ is even praying for us. So can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can trouble, pain, or persecution, can lack of clothes and food, danger to life and limb, the threat of force of arms? Indeed, some of us know the truth of the ancient text. For your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Uh, Paul says, no, in all these things, we win an overwhelming victory through him who has proved his love for us. 
He said, so I've become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, a messenger of heaven nor a monarch of earth, neither what happens today, what may or may not happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. That is magnifying the truth. That is magnifying the solution in the middle of affliction. Amen. That's making light of it. Minimifying it, minimizing it, you know, and it's not, the the way we can do that is because uh, of all the things that Jesus has done for us, right? In 1 John 4, 4, he says, you are of God, little children, and you've overcome them. Because, why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. He said, this is why you can say that. This is why you can have that confidence. This is why you can make light of your affliction. Uh, he says in Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life unto the death. And in Ephesians 6, 13, he says, because he's talking about the armor of God here. He talks about, he's talking about putting on this armor. <clears throat> he says, because of this, I'm cutting in here. You must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. He says, you are destined for all things and you will rise victorious. Amen. We are destined for all things and will rise victorious. And this will be my final closing right here. It runs in the family. Um, he says, Hebrews, in Hebrews 12 too. We, gave, we looked at some of it, Paul's examples. Well, let's look at Jesus' example. He says, we look away from the natural realm <clears throat> and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. So here, here's our example right here. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know that we're seated with him, right? But he said, just like Jesus, he looked away from the natural realm and he focused his attention and his expectation to the eternal truth, right? To the joy that was set before him. He knew, he, he had that there. He knew the problem. He knew the, um, he knew the affliction, but he chose to minimize that, to make a lot of that affliction and magnify the eternal truth and, and, and to see the joy that was set before him, all the things that would be put right. He chose to look to, to eternity with us and magnify that instead of all the shame, all the pain, all the things that he would go through. And so he's our example, amen? All right, well, we'll stop there tonight. I have more notes, but I think the clock went really fast. So <laughs> thank you guys for joining us and tuning in, and we will see you guys Sunday.